This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm VF Chief Critic Richard Lawson, filling in for Katie Rich, who is off getting ready to host the Emmys, uh, which means it's a big day for her because the Emmy nominations were just announced. And to help me talk about that, we have our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Richard. Senior editor, Hilary Busis. Hello. And the woman of the hour, our television critic, Sonia Soraya. Hello. Sonia, I know you just got done writing a snubs and surprises uh, piece for us. So I'm curious, just off the top of your head, what was in your mind the biggest snub or surprise of these 2020 Emmy nominations? I think for me, the biggest surprise was Zendaya getting a nomination for Euphoria. I felt that Euphoria had been totally written off by the awards watchers. And then seeing her breakthrough, I think it was the only nomination it got, was, uh, was pretty exciting. Um, and lead actress, which is, a, which is a competitive category. The biggest snub has got to be Reese Witherspoon uh, not getting nominated for three different shows. Kind of shocking, to be honest. But yeah, Little Fires Everywhere, Big Little Lies, and Morning Show, all of which got nominations for other people, although Big Little Lies, probably not as many as they hoped for. Uh, but Reese didn't get any. Yeah, and and the the Reese thing with the morning show must have burned that much more because not only did Jennifer Aniston get nominated for best actress, Steve Carell got a kind of surprise nomination for best actor, but also Mark Duplass and um, Billy Crudup in supporting. So like a lot of that cast got nominated, and Reese Martin just, Short, Martin, Martin Short, Short got yeah, nominated. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got nominated for it. I mean, um, so yeah, not a not a great morning uh, for Reese Witherspoon, but you know, and and the Big Little Lies disappointment certainly. Uh, I'm sure was felt acutely by HBO, but they have a lot to celebrate in the 26 nominations for Watchmen, which was the biggest um, show, limited or not, of the year uh, at these nominations. I also feel like the lack of nominations for Reese Witherspoon is great motivation for a Reese Witherspoon character. Um, I, I think that she can feed off of this energy to... You know, maybe she'll make a project where she plays like this tightly wound perfectionist um, who is challenged by unforeseen circumstances and everything in her tightly controlled world starts spiraling. I don't know. This is just a spitball. That would be a little bit out of, you know, her range, I think, but, um, you know, (laughs) (laughs) worth worth a shot. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, 
Reese is an example of someone who might have somehow like split a vote, you know, where some voters were going to go for her for one show and the other, you know, and so there just weren't enough for any one performance. But that's kind of belied by the fact that someone like Maya Rudolph got three nominations, two in Guest Comedy Actress, one in um, a voiceover category. Angela Bassett got two nominations. There were a lot of, of double ups. So, so Reese not getting anything, I don't know, maybe spoke to something else. Who knows what that might be? Yeah, I was also really shocked to see Big Little Lies didn't get that many nominations. I mean, Laura Dern and Meryl Streep both got acting nods, but other than those were the only two major awards that it was noticed for. Um, yet somehow The Handmaid's Tale, which also aired over a year ago at this point and had uh, a third season that I thought was a big dip from even the second season, uh, got a ton of nominations, which was really surprising to me. All of the main actors in it, including Samira Wiley and Bradley Whitford, like that was, that felt overrepresented to me, which was sort of surprising. I know that the Emmys like to nominate the same things over and over, but especially at a time when that show last season feels so far in the rear view, I was shocked to see it get recognized this much. Although Elizabeth Moss didn't get a nomination, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting that Samira Wiley and Bradley Whitford broke through the Academy's attention, but Elizabeth Moss, for some reason, I guess it was a competitive category. Yeah, I think that like what this year was marked for me, I mean, we did our predictions post uh, this week, and I think we did pretty well. I did the comedy stuff, and a blind spot for me was Blackish. For some reason, I thought that it, along with some other shows, were maybe going to get cycled out of getting you know nomination year after year. I was wrong. Um, Anthony Anderson and Tracy Ellis Ross, perhaps riding a, a, a high the high note uh, wave, got a nomination. But there were also you know new players like Insecure did way better than I think some people thought it did. Not only for Issa Rae, the lead actress, but for best comedy and for Yvonne Orji and supporting like that was really exciting. And I wonder, you know, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago about Academy voters in quarantine, if it gave them time to really like dial in on quote unquote smaller shows they hadn't seen. Do any of you think that, did you see any of that potentially in play here or, or was there some other factor helping to highlight these shows that haven't gotten quite the attention in years past? I wonder if uh, quarantine uh, binge watching could be why What We Do in Shadows managed to break through, um, which is a surprise nomination in the comedy category for FX or FX on Hulu or Disney or whatever network it counts <laughs> as at this point in time. It got three nominations in the comedy writing category, which is, you know, almost sweeping category. Uh, that was that was also a big surprise, a pleasant surprise for fans of that show, especially. I think a few shows that debuted at the beginning of quarantine got bumps, like Tiger King with its six nominations, Unorthodox, which I guess was sort of at the beginning of the year, but was still kind of right in the mix when the pandemic hit us. And I think, I mean, I was surprised to see Shira Huss get a nomination. I just didn't think people were talking about that show anymore. I feel also it's possible that Linda Cardellini maybe edged into the to the nominations because of quarantine watching of Dead to Me. <laughs> I think I think um, all of the streaming shows get a little bit of a boost when we're stuck indoors. Yeah, Love is Blind in the structured reality category seems like uh, <laughs> definite evidence of this phenomenon as well. Sonia, can you help me understand what happened to um, Better Call Saul? I know we we feel the pain together here. I mean, it got nominated <laughs> for best drama, but Bob Odenkirk, no Bob, no Rhea Seahorn, no Jonathan Banks. 
I sort of feel as if the Academy thought last year was its year, if it was ever going to be its year. And then when it didn't break through more, it I feel like the momentum may have passed it, which is too bad because I think that this past season was incredible. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of am struggling with it myself. Um, you know, there was another Breaking Bad snub, which was Aaron Paul for El Camino, um, which was like a very well-received made-for-TV movie, you know, whatever it is. I think it might just be that the Breaking Bad universe doesn't feel new anymore and that they were always playing with that risk, uh, I guess. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, you know, because it did get nominated for writing, which is a strong indication that the Academy likes what it's doing, but couldn't yeah. couldn't make it into the acting categories. I think also, you know, that being an AMC show, I don't know if it's related, but you are seeing newer players emerge. I mean, Disney Plus got a really surprised Best Drama nomination from The Mandalorian. Apple TV was well represented, not just by The Morning Show, but by Octavia Spencer getting a nomination for her show on that brand new streaming service. Um, Quibi got, I think... 10 or 11 nominations in the short form <laughs> things, which is, you know, that's what a billion and a half dollars gets you, I guess. But but that said, that narrative might be belied by the fact that The Great, a show I think all of us thought was going to kind of turn up in a lot of categories, got almost entirely blanked. I mean, Tony McNamara got a nomination in writing, but I was looking, it didn't even get production design or costume design nominations. Writing so, and directing are the only two nominations yeah. for The Great. So that's not good for Hulu, I guess, or not good for that show individually, at least. But um, I, I was really surprised by that. Mike, were you surprised by anything else that you, that either made it in or didn't? Well, I was happily surprised by Zendaya because we talked about how it would be great if they did think about her on this um, podcast. So now I do believe that we have the power to bestow nominations, surprise nominations. I just want Our everyone to influence. think about that for, <laughs> for quite a while. Um, I was bummed about the Better Call Saul stuff. I was bummed about the the great, you know, uh, it's a small thing, I guess, but I was really happy to see Bad Education in there, which I watched because it, it was on uh, Richard and Cam's list of the best movies so far this year. And um, I still hold out hope that it'll somehow figure into the Oscars somehow as well in this crazy year. But that's a really great watch on HBO if anybody hasn't checked it out. And, uh, you know, I was I was hoping for <laughs> for more Curb Your Enthusiasm nominations, but at least it got it got comedy series. But but I'm I don't even know I never know who's going to be nominated. I just actually just like the shows that I like and like to see them get rewarded. I don't understand how The Handmaid's Tale and Stranger Things and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel just keep racking up gigantic quantities. But I'm happy for everyone involved, and I hope that they're enjoying their I'm sure well earned success. There is some interesting overcrowding in some of the categories, like. Succession, I think uh, Best Supporting Actor has three contenders of the six uh, actors nominated. Both Big Little Lies nominations are up against each other. And Watchmen, Watchmen, I believe, has three supporting actors all up against each other, um, including both versions of Hooded Justice, <laughs> both age ages of Hooded Justice in the same category, uh, Best Supporting Actor in a Limited Series. To me, that's sort of interesting. It's like going all in on one cast um, seems to be kind of the order of the day, especially where the HBO shows are involved. Yeah, um, and in the comedy categories, uh, there's another example of Reese Witherspoon syndrome. Um, the Good Place got a ton of nominations across the board, including for much of its cast, except for lead actress Kristen Bell, uh, which 
stinks because she really is the heart of that show in a lot of ways. And uh, this is this is a show that I think uh, was a slow burn in terms of the TV Academy's attention. Um, it didn't really start getting noticed until the last season or two. Um, and now it's up for a bunch of awards, but I, I wonder if it's going to be possible to break Mrs. Maisel's stranglehold on comedy because uh, the Academy really does love rewarding the same things over and over. I'm just happy for Katie Rich that Jeremy Strong got nominated since that was basically the only thing she asked for <laughs> for Christmas this year. Yes, but L to the OG was unfortunately shut out of uh, original music and lyrics. I looked. <laughs> A travesty. Oh, and how about Brad Pitt for um, playing Dr. Fauci? Oh my God, via Zoom for three minutes. What a weird <laughs> nomination. I. That I mean, that's I, I feel like SNL is where the Academy puts a lot of its political feelings. And that one does feel very political. They're like, how can we show our support for, for the actual Dr. Anthony Fauci, for the actual Dr. Anthony Fauci? Let's just give an award to Brad Pitt. I, I don't know. <laughs> Normally, I would think like they want Brad Pitt to show up and walk the red carpet, but there's not going to be a red carpet. They, you know, <laughs> know. So <laughs> not if Fauci has anything to do with it. Yeah, getting to see the inside of Brad Pitt's house a second time feels like a reward for the rest of us. There's a lot of star power. I mean, Meryl Streep and Hugh Jackman are nominated for Emmys in the same year. Like, it, it, it would have been a, a barn burner of a broadcast, potentially, but now we're just going to have to figure something else out. I don't know if you're ever going to get Meryl on Zoom. <laughs> you forget about the Sondheim special. That's different. <laughs> Um, the Emmys in particular have been criticized in the past for, you know, nominating the same things over and over again. That is just one of the pitfalls of, you know, series television, I guess, um, but also for diversity. And it does feel like this year there was an um, that ha- a concerted effort that bore some results to pay attention to performances and shows that were, you know, outside of the older white purview of, you know, a lot of the Academy. Um, And I think there were some successes there. Obviously, you see kind of egregious things where, like, Viola Davis was not nominated for the last season of How to Get Away with Murder um, and things like that. But, like, elsewhere, I feel like there was a lot of stuff to be happy about, whether it's, you know, Zendaya or Yvonne Orji or or Watchmen getting, you know, so many nominations. Um, Sonia, how does that feel to you? Like, because I feel like you as a TV critic are doing the most holistic look at this stuff, um, you know, week in, week out. Does this Emmys feel any worse, better, or much the same as, like, recent ones in terms of diversity and representation? I mean, I was saying to, I don't know if this is too hot for broadcast, but I was saying to Hillary earlier that I sort of feel like the blackish nominations were white guilt manifesting because it's not it, the show you would think was sort of at the end of its like awards contention run. Of course, people really like Tracy Ellis Ross and Anthony Anderson, but I think the fact that it broke through indicates a sense of, I don't know if there actually is enough diversity in these nominations. I mean, Succession, Ozark, really white casts, both of those. Um, I I saw someone post a tweet that said both of my favorite families got nominated, and it was a picture of the succession dining room table shot and uh, a Schitt's Creek group photo. And I was like, yeah, this is really interesting. Like, I do feel these are two really big Emmy winners. Like, a bunch of people in both of those casts got nominated. Dan Levy gets uh, nominated for acting, writing, and directing. But both of these shows are about very white families, like, in a very white place. And I think that that's what those shows are about, so that's that's fine. But I think that there is this broader awareness, perhaps, of the fact that the industry just doesn't have the same opportunities. Um, 
I think like HBO to its credit has put both Watchmen and Insecure very much in their like for your consideration stuff. They were like, we really want these two shows to be th- things you think about. Um, you know, greenlighting a show where Zendaya is the lead, that's another kind of incredible thing. I mean, I think Netflix's best effort was in Hollywood, the Ryan Murphy show, which didn't get a ton of attention. It got a few nominations. Um, you look at their other shows, Ozark, The Crown, Stranger Things, Kaminsky Method, Dead to Me. Those are pretty white shows. And I don't know if I don't know if that is a reflection of what the Academy is watching or just a ref- or a reflection of what they're putting out there. But I think it's kind of I don't know. I don't feel as great about it as I as I have in the past. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Hollywood, the Ryan Murphy limited series for Netflix, because that's a show that attempted in, I think, a, both a sweet and cynically bumbling way to retcon old Hollywood and to have a cast of, you know, people of color and queer people and, you know, women asserting agency in, in an industry at a time that it was especially, I mean, it's bad now, but like was especially just more overtly prejudiced and discriminatory, you know, being like the, the, the quote unquote, like golden age of Hollywood. And, I, you know, that, I mean, it got some acting nominations for sure. I think that uh, Jeremy Pope getting a lead actor limited series, that was a big deal. But it didn't get uh, like the big nomination, you know, and I just, it just doesn't feel like it, it stuck in the way. And that was a quarantine show. I mean, that came out in the spring. And I'm just wondering, like, I feel like I keep bringing this up, but like what that says, well, A, about the way that it sort of indicted the industry that's now voting on these awards, um, but also what it says about like where Ryan Murphy stands in that ecosystem now, because it doesn't feel like his Netflix, his two big flashy Netflix projects really have gotten a lot of traction awards wise, which I think they maybe were supposed to at one point. And even his his old project, uh, Pose, got pretty much shut out, shut out entirely as well. There's a lead actor nomination for Billy Porter, but other than that, it's only a couple, a handful of below the line categories. Which is disappointing because that's a very talented cast. I mean, Billy Porter got the award last year, but um, MJ Rodriguez and India Moore are both incredible performers and it was disappointing to see them shut out. But I wonder if that reflects to your point, Richard, maybe some overall Ryan Murphy fatigue from the Academy. Um, And I, I, I don't know. I, you can make the efforts with diverse casts and um, uh, ambitious storylines, but you can't necessarily get people to, to care. Well, but, yeah. I mean, as is the case with Hollywood, at least, if the show's not good, then all of the diversity in the well, world. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, that seemed, the problem with Hollywood, right, is that it just a lot of people didn't think it quite came Are you talking out. about the, the industry or the, the, the show? <laughs> At this point, <laughs> Who both. knows? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's also, you know, all four of us are, are in a sort of entertainment media bubble at times. I mean, I think we all try to peer outside of it when we can, but it can be hard. 
And I think that my, you know, thing, like, I'm watching this show, the not, not Emmy nominated, but this show called The Umbrella Academy, which is like the biggest, one of the biggest shows on Netflix and is having its second season premiere later this week. Because I was like, well, what is this show that everyone watches like? And I think that, you know, a lot of times I assume that something like The Great or Hollywood, even if I don't love Hollywood and do like The Great or whatever, are going to be big because people in my immediate sphere have been talking about it. But the Emmys, as much as they are also part of that sphere, also reflect just a more casual viewer. I mean, I think they it's like, you know, at least 20,000 people voted on these things. And so you're going to catch a lot of disparate interest. And so it is interesting to see, I think, you know, what we do in The Shadows, for example, is being something that just caught enough voters' attention, even if it's not the most covered show in the world. Um, an- another um, sometimes lightning rod category is uh, like the variety ca- category, the talk show category, because, you know, like you said, Sonia, but SNL, that can be where politics are, are represented. So what-, what did you think about this, that category this year? Were there any anything that stood out to you? Well, I mean, pretty, pretty shocking that Jesus and Miro doesn't get a nomination. That's sort of where I am on it. I mean, coming into award season, I, I read so many for your consideration pieces about Jesus and Miro, so many interviews, so many publications listed it as its favorite to, to be nominated, favorite to win even. Um, and it got shut out as did Seth Meyers' show, which has happened for a few years now, but kind of disappointing because these are shows that I, I feel like are so, um, cutting edge. Uh, I think, and especially if you're going to talk about representation, diversity in the Academy, like Jesus and Miro is two hosts of color, you know, from the Bronx talking about culture from this angle in this way that is so not industry, so not LA. And as you can see, there's a real disconnect. Like what we get, what we get nominated is Samantha B, Jimmy Kimmel, John Oliver, Stephen Colbert. Like that's, that's probably what the Academy is watching. And I guess that sort of makes sense uh, given who they are, but it's disappointing because it feels like so much novelty has been overlooked. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, this feels like the most set category at the entire Emmys. Um, This is a category that was invented basically in order to give The Daily Show Emmys, and until (laughs) Jon Stewart Stewart left, it did, and since then it's only been giving them to Jon Oliver, Uh, and yeah, it, uh, it, Stephen Colbert one time. Um, But otherwise, it's just impossible for something to... Samantha Bee has managed to get nominated, never win anything. Um, Patriot Act on Netflix, I think, is another talk uh, series that a lot of uh, Emmy watchers were hoping might break in this year, but still not. It's, uh, It's really tough to break through that firewall. It's such a good example of the theory that comes up every once in a while. I know Bruce Handy um, has written about it for why you should, there should be a limit to how many times you can win an Emmy, whether it's one time or three times. Like, you know, I can understand how as an insider, Hollywood insider, you're look, you're like, look, these shows are the best in the business. They're the most professional operations. They employ a lot of people like, you know, the question every year is which one is doing the best job. But when the answer is John Oliver every single year, uh, and when there's no space for anyone doing anything different or interesting, uh, and when, you know, you just consistently end up with a, a category that's all white guys in suits, although I guess now Seth Myers is in a checkered <laughs> shirt, um, it just feels like they 
they should do something to mix it Especially up. Especially you know? in a year when late night was probably the the genre that had to and did pivot most quickly due to the coronavirus. All of these shows had to figure out ways to produce episodes from home. Um, there was a lot of really interesting innovation there. I thought that maybe Jimmy Fallon could find a way back into this category after being shut out for several years um, because as a, as a nation, I think we sort of pivoted back to wanting his kind of escapist, fun, less overtly political point of view. Um, but it didn't happen. Um, and same, same for James Corden. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think what what interests me too about like John Oliver's chokehold on this category is it's it's not just that the Academy likes its certain political angle or its certain host, but it kind of likes it, it likes this format that's that is this one guy, preferably a, a preferably a white guy in a suit, just telling the camera like why the world is yes, wrong. Right. And I think that I yes. think that that in a way is sort of I mean it, I'm really glad it works for John Oliver and it worked for John Stewart before him, but I just think we need to we just need to think about other modes of interacting with the world. John Oliver did that has been doing that for years and it did not stop Donald Trump from winning the presidency. Wait, are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been calling him drunk all this time. That hasn't had an effect. I think where you see a little bit more shakeup happening um, in the like non you know comedy drama categories are in reality. You look at something like Nailed It getting, you know, a competition nomination. Drag Race is now kind of a, you know, a stalwart in that category, weirdly. Um, But then you go to Unstructured, and not only did RuPaul's Drag Race Untucked, which is the kind of after show that airs every week, um, get nominated, but the great We're Here from HBO, which features Bob the Drag Queen and Shangela, two people who were on Drag Race. Like, it does seem like there's some um, curiosity about different forms and different subject matter uh, in those categories that we're not seeing reflected in, like, the the form, you know, the late night talk show uh, stuff. Yeah, and I'm also cheered to see uh, the animation category uh, get a little bit of new blood in it. Um, South Park wasn't nominated this year, The Simpsons still was, but the rest of the nominees were slightly less dusty. Um, Bob's Burgers, which granted at this point has been on the air for 25 or so years, uh, but also Bojack Horseman, Rick and Morty, and Big Mouth. Um, so those are those are two Netflix shows as well. Uh, it's, it's funny, Netflix doesn't have one big marquee show, but it does, I think as you said, Sonia, have a lot of representation in a lot of other categories kind of across the board, which explains how they managed to get 160 nominations altogether. If you look at the variety special nods, um, Netflix aired five out of the six nominees, which is pretty crazy, all uh, comedy specials. It's volume as a strategy, baby. I mean, it's kind of wild because, I, I mean, if you just look pure numbers at the number of shows HBO puts out versus the number of shows Netflix puts out, like your per show nomination count would be very different. But this is, I think this is really going to work for Netflix. Like if we can get three or four nominations for every show that they put out there and then, you know, pull out an Ozark that gets 18, like... 160 nominations over 107 for HBO sounds so good. And that's that's going to be in their, like, you know, their investor brief. That's going to be the first line. Yeah. And they're, and they're, again, you know, putting out shows like Ozark or The Kaminsky Method, which are not, you know, covered all the time, are not, probably have an older audience demographic. And so are, they're, they're, you know, they have shows that are people like, what? What's that? I've never heard of that. But like, clearly, 
there is an audience for it. Um, whether or not that's just Academy voters, who knows? But um, yeah, I think you're right, Sonia, that the the sort of um, uh, the, the 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 quantity offensive uh, seems to be paying off handsomely for them. It certainly works for Quibi in short form. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's talk about that though. Let's talk about the Quibi of it all because you know, granted, short form is not a terribly um, rich category, uh, which doesn't mean that there isn't great short form stuff being put out there. It's just, I think it's hard to get it in front of um, Academy voters. Perhaps there are qualification rules that I don't know about, but you know, because like you don't see like a YouTube video getting nominated but or a YouTube series, even though I'm, I'm, there are plenty that are, are worth it. But Quibi, yeah, I mean, like granted, this is a, a, a somewhat doomed project, it seems, that has a huge uh, backing from Jeffrey Katzenberg, one of the huge players of Hollywood um, and has been for a number of decades, whether or not his status is that has waned some, uh, partly because of Quibi is up for debate, but um, they got a ton of nominations. I mean, Anna Kendrick got nominated for the thing where she falls in love with a, was it a ventriloquist dummy? I think it's a blow-up doll. A blow-up doll. (laughs) It's the one doll creepier than a ventriloquist dummy. Right. Yeah. That would have been a good title, actually, for the show. <laughs> Guys, I got this. I think I should announce now that I too have deal with Quibi. This is my last episode. <laughs> Oh, there dear. you go. Well, it was inevitable, I suppose. Um, but you also see Christoph Waltz uh, getting nominated for um, the Most Dangerous Game, which also got a Best Short Form Series nomination, which is an interesting case because it's my understanding that the production company behind that is now packaging that and marketing it or trying to sell it as a film in addition to its run on Quibi. So if, if nothing else, perhaps some of these nominations will give some of this content the attention that uh, the launch of the, of the service didn't really give it. Well, look, the whole thing about Quibi is that it was a Hollywood, consummate Hollywood insider's approach to making internet videos, right? So the problem with Quibi is that they didn't really, I don't think put enough thought into what kind of user behaviors actually exist and can be leveraged. And they spent a lot of time just thinking about what they didn't like about, you know, YouTube or whatever. uh, And also asking themselves, why hasn't anyone taken a traditional Hollywood approach to YouTube style videos? And the answer is basically because actual human beings don't really want that. But I'm sure that getting Emmy nominations was burned into the plan from the very beginning. And I think if you prioritize that, and if you're willing to spend against that, and if you're willing to figure out early on, okay, what are all the requirements? And who are all the voters? And how do I make sure that they see this stuff? Then you can get 10 or however many it was Emmy nominations. And if and if you can't even do that, then, then you really didn't do anything. So I, I'm not surprised that they did it in retrospect. It was kind of surprising when it happened. And then when you think about it, it's like, all right, well, of course they did that. And maybe that will give them an opportunity to, to sort of get some people to give them a second look. And maybe it'll help them figure out a longer, more longer term, more viable um, plan going forward or, or buy them a little time. Yeah, I, I'm really curious to see how, the, how, if at all, they can leverage it, you know. And I think about that same thing with Apple TV Plus, which, you know, had a big splashy launch 
who the hell knows how many people actually watch their shows. You know, Apple TV Plus says that Greyhound, the Tom Hanks movie, was, you know, it had viewership numbers on par with a summer blockbuster, you know, that was theatrically theatrically released. Um, So they've had, you know, Jennifer Anderson won the SAG for the morning show back uh, this past winter. So they've had some momentum. And I wonder, like, does that mean that Apple TV Plus, like, is now going to get a reinvestment from Apple, from audiences, you know, in terms of interest? Because for a while there, it had been looking a little quiet, much the same way that HBO Max, you know, just released their numbers and they're they're a little soft. So I just, I don't know. I don't know if there's an answer to it. Maybe there isn't. But like in terms of like what these award shows can do for these nascent platforms. I mean, it clearly did a lot for Netflix with House of Cards, getting all these nominations and stuff. That was a major thing for them in terms of getting traction in the, in the industry and, and stuff. So um, I guess, you know. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I feel like it's obvious what 160 nominations means for Netflix because their their proposition is like we are the the one thing that you absolutely have to pay for every month. Like you can just mess around with whether you want Disney Plus or whether you really need Apple News Plus, but like you have to have Netflix. Everybody has to have it, which means that they have to have stuff that people talk about almost every week and and it's helpful for them to sort of have these kind of gaudy um numbers to to brag about um with apple it's interesting because at the end of the day apple has so much money that it may be more important for the you know executives running apple TV to be able to go to the executives above them and say, look, we won a Golden Globe. We got some Emmy nominations. Like, this is working. Give us some more time. You know, whereas Quibi, I think, has to, like, at some point in the nearish future, get a critical mass of human beings to willingly part with money every month. Like, they don't, you know, they they went around and got a lot of investment, but that means that they now have a bunch of people that they owe money right. to. But but they are not in direct competition with every other streaming platform the way that Apple TV and Disney Plus and Peacock are. But on the other hand, they're in direct competition with every other app, which is an even more insane, crowded uh, uh, landscape. So it's it's certainly interesting. Yeah. I don't know the 10 nominations. Was that what it was? I think it's Kobe? around that, 10 or 11, yeah. yeah 10, yeah. I, I don't know the, how much, you know, oxygen that really buys them, but it's better than zero. For sure. Um, Do TikToks get nominated for Emmys? Um, Those would be Peabody's. Yeah. Oh, God. No Pulitzers. Pulitzers. But it does make you think, like, why are Quibi, whatever they are, films and shows nominated for Emmys and not all the other stuff that that millions of people watch every day? Like, that seems like an Emmy problem. I mean, it might just be who is submitting things for Emmy consideration and who isn't. I mean, if if YouTubers want to submit their... uh, their content then I don't know I I do feel like when we when we talk about this and we get into the nitty-gritty picking apart you know the Emmys are awards for television but what even is television anymore we're sort of hurtling toward a place where there's no differentiation among any of the various types of content there's just longer content and shorter content and it all kind of 
gets muddled together, production values, irrespective, you know, who cares about the start, like, all of these things are just distractions that take up various amounts of time, and at some point, are we just going to have kind of one big awards show that recognizes all forms of content? Like, is that the long-term future? Yeah. Well, as was always predicted, the one thing that remains pure is the theater. <laughs> and, and yet, theater is probably dead now, so, like... <laughs> Um, well, Richard, I know that you're thrilled that uh, the scrappy underdog Disney Plus got a Best Drama nomination. I mean, that's really big for, you know, that little company. You know, I, I remember... I remember for their little space show? When uh, Bob Iger was, you know, I went and interviewed him in his garage, you know, he was building the mouse ears. And it was a real, you know, it's amazing what, what a little ingenuity can do uh, in this country. This little-known franchise called Star Wars manages to break through. What I am happy about The Mandalorian about is that, like, I mean, Disney aside, whatever, um, is that that is a show that did what is being asked of so many creative people in the industry now who are given lots of money, which is take this IP that has been essentially branded and branded and branded and branded until it's like oxygen, it's everywhere, and make something new out of it. You know, and I think you saw with the rise of Skywalker, the most recent theatrical release Star Wars film, which I hated, and I think a lot of people didn't like, even though it made money. It felt like, oh, there's not a lot of, there's not really any gas left in this particular tank, at least right now. We need to take a Star Wars break. But then The Mandalorian, you know, was would premiere just before that movie came out last uh, fall, and it was great. It felt fresh. It felt new. It felt like, look, if we're gonna get this continuous onslaught of Marvel, of Star Wars, of whatever other you know IP stuff is being. Um, reiterated time and time again, at least do something that feels fresh and fun and like maybe, you know, in the Mandalorian, uh, the case of that show, harkens back to what we loved about the original thing, the 1977 film. So if nothing else, it is a triumph of, and as cynical as it sounds, of someone like doing the job of, you know, expanding IP well and somewhat responsibly, I guess. I mean, I can't agree with you more because I do, I, I totally agree with your cynicism. And at the same time, like, I really enjoyed The Mandalorian. I watched the hell out of that show. And I felt like they did a great job with making all of this existing IP, like, fun. I mean, like, Lud- Ludwig Gorenson's theme music got a nomination. Unfortunately, Werner Herzog did not get a nomination for his incredible, um, incredible supporting performance. But I think if we're going to live in a world with these big franchises, we might as well award the one that do it really well. And to celebrate, um, I am bringing 500 lucky Little Gold Men listeners to Disney World next weekend. <laughs> oh. So just send, just you know, DM me on Twitter. And we'll all... Masks optional. We're gonna we're just gonna rent <laughs> right. a bus and drive. From BYOM. Down. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking, I, I like that you brought up the Mandalorian, Sonia, because it is fun when talking about nominations like these to focus on things that make us not to steal from pop culture happy hour, but make us happy. Uh, and I, I think that there's a, a lot of little weird details kind of further down the list um, of stuff that like like look at the outstanding guest actors in the drama series category you have cecily tyson laverne cox cherry jones harriet walter from succession alexis bladell and felicia rashad i mean that is like a murderer's row of people and that's like a really fun thing and you know i i doubt the i mean they're probably not going to broadcast anything really but it's fun that like the emmys is such an expansive you know awards show in terms of how many categories it has that there can be all these little interesting things have you have any of you picked up on a little detail that has gone maybe unspoken about uh thus far oh well actually this is kind of funny um we were just talking about youtubers in the outstanding short form variety series category randy rainbow got a nomination 
There you go. Speaking of quarantine viewing. Yeah, so, okay, so a YouTuber can uh, can break through. Make good. Um, did anyone else um, notice that Buzz Aldrin is now an Emmy nominee? Maybe he was before in, in his life, but he's a nominee for uh, cinematography for CNN's Apollo 11 special, I guess, which is kind of crazy, <laughs> don't you think? I guess that's technically accurate. <laughs> that's just, you have to take your hat off to the uh, whoever thought of that as a yeah, campaign Yeah, exactly. Like, like, I'm sure that the other cinematographer who did it you know, contemporaneously with the production of the show versus the archival footage that Buzz Aldrin shot did a great job. But like, I'm sure that CNN was like, no, 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 put, put him on there because <laughs> he's going to get, he's going to get voted for. <laughs> That's what the money's for. Actual cinematographer. Right, exactly. that is, Apollo 11 was very good though. Just putting that out there. I never yes, thought yeah. of I never thought of him as a cameraman before, so I guess that's what that accomplished for me. I was like, oh yeah, Buzz Aldrin, cameraman on the moon. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy to see uh, two nominations for John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. <laughs> oh. Yeah, totally. That that that's that you know that that felt like a very beloved thing, um, kind of from a forgotten era almost. But um, that was nice. I was glad, you know, even though Rami, which um, you know got some nominations but didn't get Best Comedy Series. Um, Rami Youssef did get a directing nomination, which was good. I was glad that Leslie Linka-Gladder, who has done a lot of great work on um, Homeland over the years, got nominated for directing the, the series finale of that show, which I thought was really well done. Um, so there are... Costume is a nomination for Lynn Shelton, uh, oh, yeah. who we lost mm-hmm. earlier this yeah. spring. And Betty Gilpin got a nomination for the final season of GLOW, which is a nice little surprise. Yeah, although she's going up against um, Cecily Strong for Saturday Night Live, who I think has long been the kind of MVP of that show, Undersung, Yvonne Orji, Darcy Carden. It's a a, a tough category for sure. An interesting sort of snub, well, Laverne Cox got nominated for Orange is the New Black's final season. She's the only one that got nominated from that season, um, which is too bad. I know that people probably stopped watching, but... Daniel Brooks, Adrian Seymour did incredible work in that final season. Laverne Cox is barely in that season. I feel, I feel like that's another name recognition uh, nomination right there. I think Laverne Cox also uh, was very confused and didn't realize during the broadcast of the nomination announcement that she was even eligible, yeah, <laughs> given the way yeah. that she reacted when uh, Leslie Jones tried to tell her over and over that she had been nominated. I have to say that um, I've never watched The Masked Singer and I generally don't like swag and am against it, but they did send me a mask singer mask, COVID mask, <laughs> that makes my face look like a sort of mutant cookie monster when I go to the store. And as as a result, I am glad that they got uh, nominated for a best reality <laughs> show, and I think they, they deserve were, to win. They were ahead of their time, you know? <laughs> On masks. <laughs> Um, I'm also happy that... It's uh, really a show for our time. <laughs> a recent Oscar winner who's film turn series what we do in the shadows got a bunch of nominations but taika waititi got a voiceover performance nomination for the mandalorian for playing ig11 the robot which is one of those fun way 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 down the list things um that uh you know will bring some a-list hollywood into the you know non-broadcast emmys this year in that same vein uh will arnett closes out BoJack Horseman not getting a single voice acting nomination, which is sort of shocking, if you think about it. Yeah, given how, how like, yeah. critically beloved that show was and, and everything. Um, but, you know, you can't, I, guess, I don't know, even though there are, like, 40 billion categories, you can't get them all. <laughs> unless you're... <laughs> or any, sometimes. Unless you're doing short form and you're quippy. 
Right. Yeah. I was, you know, speaking of, you know, creators who in the past have gotten out recognition, really, like David Simon, you know, The Wire famously, I think, got, what, three Emmy nominations ever, or maybe just one. Uh, his miniseries, The Plot Against America, did okay, but not so well in the acting stuff, which I had hoped it would, um, and I think it deserved to. But, you know, that limited series thing is getting so crowded. I mean, look at poor Rose Byrne shut out at Mrs. America where everyone else seems to have gotten nominated. So I guess someone has to, to be left out in the cold. All right, well, that does it for our, you know, immediate post-nominations reaction episode. Uh, we will, of course, be talking about the Emmys more and more as the actual ceremony date approaches. It's really fun to have actual awards to talk about on an awards podcast again. And, you know, maybe this has pointed at least some people to things they haven't seen or heard of and they can catch up with. So maybe that's the good work that the Emmys can do. In the meantime, you can read all of us at VF.com. We are on Twitter at Little Gold Men uh, and on our own, Mike. Mike underscore Hogan. Hillary. Hillbuster. And Sonia. Sonia Soraya. And just a reminder to read Sonia's uh, Viola Davis cover story from our, our current issue, which is spectacular. This episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best sales pitch for Little Gold Men's new line of promotional dolls goes to Hillary Buses. It's the one doll creepier than a ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.